Before we get started, you already know about the Low Post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective featuring Brian Windhorst. But have you listened to the VC show with eight-time NBA All-Star Vince Carter and co-host Roz Gold on Wooday? They talk all things basketball with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment and give their unfiltered thoughts on the NBA. Plus, Vince will share stories from his illustrious 22-year career. That's the VC Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my man, Ryan Clark, fresh off the Super Bowl. He got that Super Bowl glow. Not quite winning the Super Bowl glow, but he does have that Super Bowl glow. You know what? You also have a glow, too, this weekend, D.C., (laughs) or after this weekend. You were in Orlando, got an opportunity to watch your daughter compete, and I think you had a friend or an old teammate win some little fight in Australia, which I'm sure you're going to brag about enough on this show. You know, R.C., we're not going to brag about it, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. So coming up, guys, we will talk about last week and we'll recap it. But we're also going to deep dive into Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler on The Ultimate Fighter. And as always, we tap in or we tap out. But first and most importantly, my daughter did do gymnastics last week. We were in Orlando, Florida, and she was competing in her first national competition. R.C., I'm going to tell you this, man. I don't know if I've ever been more nervous. I'm sitting there. I'm, like, scared. I'm coaching her at some point, RC. Like, at one point, her coaches and, and my daughter are looking at me like, shut up, dude. You don't know yeah, how to you coach gymnastics. You can't even flip. You can't flip, DC. So how are you? You can't do a cartwheel, bro. bro. So how are you going to coach your daughter to win against all of these big-time gymnasts in Orlando? Stop it, I, man. I don't. Sit in the stands. Or see, I don't know, bro. It's like I'm sitting there and I'm so nervous because I wanted to do so well. I don't even get that nervous when my son wrestles. But watching my daughter was, it was amazing, man. And I had so much fun to watch her uh, and do something that she loves. And she did tremendous. She got seventh overall in her age group. And I was very proud That's of her amazing. for her competition. Yes, RC. But as we move on, we got to talk about last week. And I sent you guys a video of... Islam Makashev and all of his teammates in the bus, and he goes, Ozzy, 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 and then the rest of the Russian guys can barely pronounce that, you know, whatever the Australians do. But they're so disrespectful to a degree. He won the fight, RC. But when we look at Islam Makashev and Alexander Volkanovsky, is the praise warranted? Is the praise of Volkanovsky warranted, or is it a case of we expected Islam to dominate him, and when he didn't, Everybody's maybe giving Alexander too much credit. I'm just asking RC. I gotta ask the question. You know don't what? Shoot I, the I, you know what? I, I don't think we are in any way giving Alexander Volkanovsky more credit than he deserved because we watched him do what Dan Hooker couldn't do. We watched him do what Charles Oliveira couldn't do, which was be taken down by Islam Makachev and fight his way at least. To a decision. Normally, when Islam Mahakchev gets you in those positions, what we've seen in recent history is you don't get out of them. And so I don't believe that the praise is overblown for Alexander Volkanovsky. And I believe there are some people who think that this fight was not only closer than what it was, but that Alexander Volkanovsky won the fight. And so 
to have a guy move up and fight someone that was seemingly indestructible in their last 10 or so fights, I think it warrants high praise. But that high praise to me shouldn't be the praise of a winner. And I think that we're doing that for Alexander Volkanovsky. When you go up and you're the champion that he is, you have to walk away with your hand raised. And so where I thought it was a great fight, I thought Alexander Volkanovsky, to me, won the fight 3-2. I can still see where if you're Islam Makachev, you fought one of the best in the world, a guy who was pound for pound, number one coming into the fight, and you win. But I think it's something that we need to see run back because what Volk did after being taken down, in my opinion, DC, was something that no one expected him to be able to do. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily know if I need to see a rematch right away. You know, I think what Alexander Volkanovsky did was good. I don't know if, if he needs to get it. I don't know if Islam needs to run it back right now because mm-hmm. the reality is he won the fight. And here's the difference in, in how I viewed the fight. I viewed the fight as Alexander Volkanovsky did amazing. And he did a couple things technically that not many people have done. And I wonder if they can implement that into their game plans going forward. So opposed to grappling with Islam Makashev, the moment he got taken down, he got up immediately, got to his back, gave up his back, got to his hands and started fighting the hands to escape. He never grappled. He never went to the guard. He never tried to do jujitsu. He immediately said, I'm wrestling, I'm back up. That was amazing. He said that the fight would get spent on the feet and Islam would be uncomfortable. Again, he was right. At times, Makachev looked uncomfortable. But in the vast majority of those exchanges, we saw Makachev not only holding his own, but winning. So I don't understand how one guy is getting so much praise, but everybody thought that all Makachev could do was take him down and hold him. But when fight was spent vast majority of the time on the feet, Makachev not only held his own, he won a lot of those exchanges. So I think both guys should have elevated in that fight because sometimes you got to go through that as the champ. But to take anything away from Volk would be unfair because what he did was amazing. DC, uh, DC, DC, stop it, stop it, DC. Because we we can't on on one hand go into this fight thinking that Volkanovski is this huge underdog, that he's giving up so many sides, that the grappling leans so far towards Islam Mahachev that if he takes him down, the fight is over, and then we get to the end of the fight and say, yeah, but, you know, Islam, Volkanovski did a good job, and he fought his hands, and he kept fighting so he could stand up, and Islam Makachev won most of the exchanges. He didn't win most of the exchanges. He did hold his own, and in holding his own in those exchanges, we're saying to ourselves, here's what happened, DC. Here's what I think has happened. We thought that Islam, or going into the fight, many thought that Islam would be so outclassed on his feet that the fact that he held his own, we're saying, great job, Islam, you held your own on his feet. And on the opposite end, we thought that Volkanovski would be at such a disparity in the grappling, we're saying, great job, Volk, you didn't get choked out. When in truth, this was a very even fight by two champions who were one and two in the pound for pound rankings. But we also have to accept that Volk fights 10 pounds less than what Islam Mahakchev fights. Going into the fight, Islam Mahakchev was 10 pounds heavier, right? So you have to leave this fight 
more impressed with Alexander mm. Volkanovsky mm. if Islam Mahachev is everything you say he is, DC. Mm. You've basically said for the time, the duration we've been doing this show, he's Habib Nurmagomedov. No, he's not. He's in not. The, he's theory, not him. In theory, in theory, he's 10 pounds heavier. Starting, starting, essentially. But only for, no lie, Ryan, he's 10 pounds heavier, only for outside of fight camp or only on weigh-in day because it's not like Islam Mahachev weighed more than Alexander Volkanovsky on fight night. I wish we had the numbers on the scale because they only weigh 155 for that short period of time that they step right. on that scale. Islam can't get back to his max number in 24 hours. Neither can so, Volkanovsky. So you got to imagine they were pretty similar on fight night. So you don't think, you don't think there was – a possibility for there to be a 10-pound difference in size between Alexander Volkanovsky and Islam Mahachev when we've seen the disparity when you look at a guy like Alex when he's fighting against Izzy, who yes. is the, the natural bigger human. Now, he's, a, he's much a much bigger man than Izzy is. So in no way do you think Volk came into this fight at a deficit with what the scales would say they weighed, DC? Absolutely, RC. But here's the issue, right? When you're big, right? When you're big for a weight class like Makachev, Makachev can't get back to what he weighs outside of fight camp because you spend so much time dieting to a place where you can get down to the weight. So even when I was fighting, RC, and I was going to 205, I would always step into the octagon at 222. Because I would diet my way down to the 220s in order to be able to make 205. So even if right. I ate and I drank and I ate and I drank, you never got bigger. So Islam was probably going to be about 175 max. That's about 20 pounds. Volkanovsky looked huge in there, bro. He's so thick. And I said that to him. I go, you're not small. You're just short. Just short. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're just short. And I think that his height actually played a part in the fight and in the result. But ultimately, I don't want this to come off as if I'm not giving credit to Alexander. Dude, I tweeted in the middle of the fight. I go, this dude is so good. He's so, so good. And that's why he presented so many problems. I think it was unfair for people to look as he was going to just be a road bump or a stop in the road for a right. guy like Islam Makachev because – Nobody's that much better than Alexander Volkanovsky. And I think he right. proved that on Saturday. But on Saturday, DC. RC, he did lose the fight. Okay, he lost the fight. I, I agree. So, DC, here's my question for you. We've seen this killer instinct and this killer maneuverability by Islam Mahachev when he's gotten guys to the mat in all of his previous fights. This is his first time fighting without Khabib Nurmagomedov in his mm -hmm. corner. What type of effect did, did that have on Islam not being able to finish the fight when he had Volk in some vulnerable positions on the ground yeah. after takedowns? You know, I've seen a couple times where Habib is walking him through scenarios. Like, I saw a meme a while back where it looked like Habib was uh, playing a video game as Islam was doing the moves. But honestly, bro, I just don't know... If you could do that to Alexander Volkanovsky, I just think he's that good. I don't know if there's a world in which you just finish Volk. I get that Islam thought he would walk through him as he's, he's FaceTiming Habib right now, but I just don't know if there's a world, RC, where 
you can just finish Alexander Volkanovsky. I think he's that good. And I think a lot of the credit he is receiving is because of how good Islam is. So because he fought him so well, he's receiving a ton of praise. But I also said on Sports and After the Fight, I said, hey, there's a world in which at the end of this, Volkanovsky could still be the number one pound for pound fighter in the world because pound for pound says, does your fighting style translate between weight classes? It showed on Saturday that his fighting style does translate between weight classes. So RC, the new rankings come out today, and guess who's still number one pound for pound? Alexander Volkanovsky. Because he should he be. Because he should be, DC, because that's what it means. It means that you're where, where you are in your weight class or where you are in your body type, you fight better in that body type at that size than anyone else does at their size. And I believe by moving up and not fighting, he didn't fight a, a middle ground 155 pounder. He fought a guy that just took out Charles Oliveira that was running roughshod through the 155 pound weight class. And I think he fought him in a way after Islam being so dominant of everyone that 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 makes him feel or that makes us feel about Vogue the way that we should have before the fight. It's And I'm going to say this, DC, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I believe that Alexander Volkanovsky has truly been an underrated champion in the featherweight division. Even though he dominated Max Holloway in the third of their trilogy, even though we've watched him run through the Korean Zombie recently, also Brian Ortega, I think we were always looking at, at Volk like, nah, he's still not that dude. He's gotten more respect and gained more respect for me pound for pound. And as his overall career is perceived through fighting Islam Mahachev in the way he did this weekend. Do you disagree with that? No, I, I don't, RC. I, I I don't. I want to. Let me tell you something. I'm constantly coming on this show trying to disagree with you, but I can't on this one. I can't agree, disagree on do I have more respect for Volkanovsky, but not based on not based on just that performance. Because for a while, I would interview him and I would talk to him, RC, and I would constantly say stuff like, it's time to put some respect on this man's name because he was underappreciated and undervalued for a long time because it was the Korean Zombies done, so that's why he beat him in the way that he did. Brian Ortega, we already saw him lose to Max Holloway, so why should we give him more credit for that? People thought Max Holloway beat him in another fight. It didn't matter what he did. People always seemed to want to discredit Alexander Volkanovsky. Not anymore. Because he showed, dude, he comes out to that little song, and we're going to the land down under. It is like he was laughing and smiling. I'm like, this has to be false confidence. It's not false confidence. This guy has more belief in himself than any fighter I've seen in a really long time, and he should because he has the fighting ability to compete against anyone. But at the end of the day, Ryan, he did not win the fight on the judges' yeah. scorecards, so it's onward and upwards for Islam Makashev. Who do you see him fighting next? Because I think, personally, that was probably the toughest fight that he's going to have for a really long time. Well, you look at, so one thing, if you're, if you're a lightweight contender, you're thinking to yourself, oh, after watching that, I believe I have an opportunity. But you look at a guy like Dustin Poirier, you can think the, you, you can think the, 
the Dubronx uh, Benil Dariush winner can have an opportunity, especially if it's Benil Dariush because it brings some new blood into the championship contender. We have Gaethje uh, Faziv. They're going to face off too. So many of those winners can get an opportunity to face Islam Mahachev. But if you want to make the fight Right now, I think putting a guy like Dustin Poirier in there who has recently tweeted, okay, what's up and who's next? And I believe, I do believe you tweet that after watching the fight against Alexander Volkanovsky because you go, oh, wait, there's some cracks in the armor. We might be able to figure this out. You know, I'm, I think if I'm Dustin Poirier, I think I might be better on my feet than Alexander Volkanovsky at this weight class. I, I can hit a little harder with the weight. And so you think about all of those things and you think, okay, maybe I have an opportunity. So maybe Dustin Poirier is up mm. next because he also carries that kind of name cachet that yep, you yep, want yep. in the UFC that brings the spice to a fight against Islam Mahakchev. But also, not only did we see the 155-pound belt up for grabs this weekend, we crowned an interim champion in the featherweight. In the feather, oh, what, what? You, you, you think you're slick? You, you're from Dustin Poirier from Louisiana. You carry that narrative. Dustin won one fight. You now you try to put Dustin Poirier into a title fight. Boy, I know you and Dustin Poirier was friends, but I never thought you would come up here what? and try to get. I never thought you would come up here trying to get that man a title fight. After one win, I like Dustin just as much as you. I'm from Louisiana just as much as you. I don't live there like you two. But, boy, did y'all talk on the phone Sunday or something? D.C., <laughs> D.C., so tell, so D.C., you tell me, are, are we waiting for Gaethje Fazeev? Are we waiting for Dariush Oliveira for, for a winner out of those oh. fights? I mean, if Dariush wins, then you got some, you have some new blood in it. We've seen oh. Justin Gaethje get his opportunity. Like, I, I don't know what you want me to do, D.C. Oh. At least what I didn't I, say I, Conor McGregor. You didn't say, thank God, because normally you would have just said Conor McGregor, but boy, you just try to put up, oh, Dustin, Dustin, you won't get a nice bouquet of flowers on Valentine's Day from Dustin Poirier after that, because you just went off and almost had me believing that he should get a title shot. That is so <laughs> crazy what just happened. But maybe Benil Daryush for me, but as you were trying to transition, Ryan, I just could not let you get away with that. That wasn't the only title fight, like you said. It was Jair and... It was uh, Josh, Josh Emmett, Emmett fighting for the interim title. Yep. Dude, let me tell you something. I've never seen Yair Rodriguez look better. And you and I spoke about this. You talked, going into the fight, you told me, you said, hey, he turned Max Holloway into a guy that was having to grapple to beat him. But Saturday, dude looked complete. And he really just utterly dominated Josh Emmett. In the time that was left in the round that Josh Emmett tapped, he could have went to round three. He could have survived for another five seconds. But I think that dude was probably like, man, this is going sideways. I don't know what I'm going to do yeah. with this guy tonight in order to beat him. Like, how impressed were you with Pantera? You know what? I was I was impressed with Yair Rodriguez in the Max Holloway fight with, with his toughness, his creativity and striking. But when you watch Josh Emmett, you knew Josh Emmett wanted to go forward. Josh Emmett wanted to continue to put pressure on Yair Rodriguez. But 
But the creativity, the creativity in which he was striking and then even fighting off of his back and, and creating the submission, I just think he is so, so skilled. Also, DC, we have to think about the length in which he fights with and the way that he controls the octagon by keeping the spacing. I just thought it was an amazing performance by him. And he's consistently given us these performances and it's almost as if we don't want to recognize it. And I don't know if it's because Max Holloway has been so dominant and also Alexander Volkanovsky has been so dominant in this division that we keep kind of saying, okay, Yair is right there, but he's not necessarily made it over the hump. After watching a performance like this that we saw against Josh Emmett, DC, is it making you think to yourself, or how much do you think to yourself, we should have been talking about this dude a little bit more, and now we will? Yeah, just a little sooner, right? Like, just a little sooner recognizing that this kid was a champion in the making. Like, sometimes you can see, sometimes you could see something in a fighter and go, man, this dude right here has it. And it seemed like Geyer had that. But... He would have a hiccup here. He would have a hiccup there. Even in the fight against the Korean Zombie, when he knocked him out with one second left, Korean Zombie was going to get the decision. He was winning the fight. So he would have these hiccups every now and again. But it seems as though now, as he, he seems to be rounding into his final form, because the kid was confident. He went up to his mama right before his mom, like, blessed him before he walked into the octagon, gave him a big old hug. His dad was there. They had the cowboy hats. It was like, Brandon Moreno is a Mexican fighter, but Yair Rodriguez is also, like, Mexican born and bred through and through. We coached him on the Ultimate Fighter Latin America way back in the day. And the kid, uh, the man now, because he's not a kid like he was before, he's just rounding out, man, and he looks as good as anyone. But it, it leads me to this question, because for 20 minutes, RC, we just went on about how great Alexander Volkanovsky is. And even in my group message on Saturday, people were going, yeah, I hear this, yeah, I hear that. And then Volk fights, not even 30 minutes later, you're going, but can he beat Volkanovsky? Like, what does that win by Yair do for the featherweight division? And also, even that, even as good as he looked, does he beat Alexander, who is now still the pound for pound number one fighter in the world? Hey, bro, I don't, I don't know if anyone at 145 can beat Alexander Volkanovsky. <laughs> and I think we kind of forget dude had won like 20 straight fights as well. Yeah. Like this isn't what we saw from Alexander Volkanovsky on Saturday night was nothing new to him. And so in looking at Yair Rodriguez, I'm going to say this. In order to beat Alexander Volkanovsky, he has to fight the best fight we've ever seen him fight. He has to be better than he's ever been. He has to be much better than he was against Josh Emmett as well. And so in thinking about that matchup, it excites you because you feel like he can do some things from a striking perspective and also fighting off of his back that not many can do, DC. But right now, if you ask me, who is that dude? Who is the guy at featherweight? I say Alexander Volkanovsky, and there's no one I'm picking over him in that weight class until somebody beats him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be tough to, to see someone beating Volkanovsky, but you would think the length would present problems, but we've seen Volk deal with tall guys. Yes. You would think that the creativeness would be a problem, but we have seen him deal with... We have seen him deal with creative guys. It, it would be hard. But I think Yair looking as good as he did last week 
starts to raise questions. And that's something that we didn't have at Featherweight or we didn't see on the horizon, especially after he had finished the Holloway portion of his career. We didn't know if it was going to be anyone at 145 that could compete with him. But now, watching Yair fight in the way that Yair fought lets you know that there is a viable contender. There is an interesting fight down there for him. And with the new star quality that he will take back to his weight division and the way that Yair looked on the fight night, the same night that they fought, it makes you feel like a big fight is awaiting us at 145 pounds. It's it's amazing. We haven't seen a champion at 145 like that uh, since Max Holloway. It took Volk a little time, but now he's starting to have that star ability that's going to follow him back to that weight class. Ryan, one guy that's a star... Oh, hold on, hold on, love. hold on, hold on, guys. Jordan loves. Hold on, guys. Uh, Michael Chandler actually has a special message for both of you. DC, RC, MC have done staggering numbers. Therefore, the powers that be have brought MC up to ESPN headquarters behind your guys' back to audition. And it turns out we're going to scrap DC and RC. So welcome to the series finale. I'm sorry, boys. The king is here. God bless. I'll see you at the top. Just MC now? Is it just MC? I mean, what did he do? He just canceled the show? Like, it's just his hey. show now? <laughs> hey, DC, I'm going to be honest, man. I'd watch a show with just Michael Chandler, too. <laughs> so if they've scrapped us for that, hey, such is life, DC. But yeah. you know what's crazy? What what I, I think is going to happen from this, this season of The Ultimate Fighter, when we're looking at the vets fighting the, 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 the young guys, is that... Yeah. Michael Chandler is going to raise his star as well. People are going yep. to tune in to see Conor McGregor. But I do believe on the other side of that, they're going to get to know Michael Chandler. You're going to get to love Michael Chandler. You're going to get to learn about not only how good of a fighter he is, but how good of a dude he is, how much of a competitor Michael Chandler is. And that's why he's the only dude that has an actual segment on our show on DCRC <laughs> and MC. But when you look at the way that they're setting the house up, now in D.C., where you're getting guys who have been a part of the USC and have maybe flamed out or lost contracts mm -hmm. and and they're and they're and they're fighting and they may be fighting uh, other guys who are new to it. These are just rumors now, guys. This is just R.C. saying that this is what's rumored to be happening now. Remember, I got my own show with ESPN and UFC, so I could be right. But also, too, <laughs> I picked Philly to win the championship, so oh I could be wrong. God. Maybe I'm like Arian Foster, and I didn't get the script. But, DC, when you hear about what's being rumored to be kind of the theme of this season of The Ultimate Fighter, what do you think about that type of setup, and would it work? You you know, you, uh, you, uh, you might know a little more than you did break – you the the pay per view last week at International Fight Week with Nate Diaz and them. So I gotta watch you because you're starting to get you're actually starting to get a little too involved and it's starting to piss me off. It's like you bring your wow. girlfriend to the show. Look, it's like you bring your girlfriend to the show and then she's the pretty girl at the party. You just told me you're gonna be in Vegas March fourth and I got scared because I thought you might be working the death show. You no, opened the pay per view last week. <laughs> what is going on, dog? Like what is happening right now? This guy's a UFC insider and a UFC dark all of a sudden but back to your question I appreciate I appreciate the attempt to freshen it up because now having just prospects come is great but having prospects take on guys will show you whether or not 
these guys are ready to fight at a UFC level. That's mm. why I love this idea. Because when you get these prospects or these guys that have not been to the show yet, then you get the veterans. You never know what is going to show itself over the course of the show. The last time we had the Ultimate Fighter where guys got a second chance, uh, Matt Serra ultimately won, beat George St. Pierre, and came the champion. So you don't yeah. know if maybe one of these veterans that are coming back, if that's the case, right? These are all rumors. If they're coming back, if these guys not only have an opportunity to get back in the show, but maybe they've been away just long enough to have developed the skills that not only puts them back in the show, but gives them an opportunity to possibly chase down the championship. I love this. This is so fresh. This is so fresh and so new of a way of presenting the ultimate fighter that I'm going to tune in to watch guys that I'm familiar with on the show, trying to earn their way back into the show. But that also leads this question. When you're coaching, right, I know guys respect you. Because when I walked into the Ultimate Fighter with Stipe, these young men were fans. They looked up to us. They recognized all that we had done, and they loved it. But when you got these veterans, and they're coming back, they've done pretty much everything that you have done over the course of your career. How difficult will it be for Michael Chandler Maybe not so much for Conor McGregor, right? Because Conor McGregor is a former champion. Those guys probably weren't champions. But if you're a guy like like a, a, a person that's fought in the UFC multiple times and you're getting close by Michael Chandler, a guy that's done exactly what you've done, how hard will it be for you to take instruction from that guy when you may believe that you could fight him? Well, I think, I think one, uh, it, much like Travis Kelsey told uh, the mayor of Cincinnati, know your... Hey, know your role, Jabroni. Um, if you're if you are in the Ultimate Fighter house, that means that something in your career didn't go as planned. Something about mm -hmm. your career wasn't continuing to ascend. And so I think you have to walk into that house with that sort of humility. Now, on the other side of that, DC, there's a very respectful way to have conversations about things you disagree with or things you want when you're speaking to someone you may consider a peer. I played with Coach Tomlin and he was extremely young when he was our coach, but we had guys like James Ferrier who uh, were older and who knew Coach Tomlin and Coach Tomlin instructions to him was respectful. But if James also had something to say, there was a conversation that could be had between the two of those that showed the respect of head coach and player but also the respect that you have some experience in life that allows you to be eye to eye to me in this conversation. And I think Michael Chandler will be able to have conversations in that manner. And I believe the guys that are fighting on the ultimate fighter will also understand that they're fighting for a last chance and in fighting for a last chance and being coached by Michael Chandler, you're being coached by one of the biggest stars in the UFC. Yes. And it may not show in the win and the loss column, but this is a guy who's done enough in his career to be paired with the UFC's brightest star and biggest earning in the ultimate fighter house. And I believe that has to carry weight and also comes along with a level of cachet. Absolutely. You have to you have to respect that. And that's a great way of putting it right. You're fight. Come in humble. Because you are yes. fighting for another opportunity, and this guy is trying to help you along that journey. So, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. But, RC, one of the guys on The Ultimate Fighter is very well-dressed. Conor McGregor 
There's only two guys in the UFC that I'll dress you every time. Conor McGregor and Kamaru Usman. That's well, actually week- <laughs> not true. That's not true. RC. Well, RC, it's time to step fly. Super Bowl edition. Last week, my guy, you were on your game in Arizona. Talk to me about this yep. one. Well, this right here, DC, this was a little blue. I tried to stay monotone with the light blue shirt. Then you see the polka dot tie and the pocket square for a little pop. This was early on in the week, DC. So I didn't really want to give them too much too early. Then Thursday, I came with the with the brown on them. And it Chocolate wasn't brown. brown, DC. It got the gold flex in it. And then you go with the black shirt on the backdrop of the brown, double-breasted. We will fly. And, you know, I was building up to something. I was building up to Friday, D.C. Now, when I saw this fabric, I didn't really know if I wanted to rock it. But then when I put it on, D.C., look, you see the dude in the back just waving his hands because he understands what he's getting an opportunity to see. I just stayed fly the whole week. And I'm going to see Kamaro probably really soon here to have a conversation with him. And I'm going to have to bring this video. I'm going to tell Jake to to give it to me so I can bring it to Kamaro and be like, bro, when you come to London, I'm going to be in there. But, ooh, the finish, D.C. D.C., this is oh, an man. Andre Julius signature look. Half of it is window pane. The other half is solid. Then I hit you with the <laughs> pocket square and the turtleneck, D.C., because ooh. it's February. Turtleneck time is almost over. What I'm doing right now is truly revolutionizing stepping fly. <laughs> and, you know, when you look at the levels I'm taking this to, this is sort of becoming like being the double champ. As if I was the light heavyweight champ and I move up to heavyweight and I beat a guy like, say, oh, Stipe Miocic. Um, I don't know what else I have next, DC, uh, for you. But just know you better bring it in London because I will be there. RC is revolutionary, dog. Like you're watching something. It's one of a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) My God. You're so funny. All right, man. I gotta, I gotta do something else, man. So, bro, it's it's Black History always, right? At ESPN, yep. but we are kind of focusing on a young two-sport athlete, Reggie Nordcut, and his story is very interesting. Let's take a listen. It's definitely a serious task trying to manage being a professional athlete in two different sports, but um, you know, you it's all into it all has something to do with the person individually. You know, um, I'm kind of. Miss a couple screws in a good way, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm real ambitious, man. I, um, my plan is to be one of the baddest athletes to ever walk the planet and join that class of gentlemen as, um, in our history as far as sports. You know, you have a guy in Reggie Northrop that is now trying to become a two-sport athlete in a way we've never seen it. We've seen the Bo Jacksons. We've seen the Deion Sanders. But to be fighting in mixed martial arts and now be a part of the D.C. defenders in the upcoming XFL season, I think this is something that's very different. And he mentioned kind of having some screws loose. When I think of football and playing in pads, like that makes sense to me. When I think of what you guys (laughs) do, D.C., as mixed martial artists, That don't make no sense to me. You know, that I'm going to go in here with these very little gloves and get kicked and punched in face or need. And then if I'm better than a dude at that, he could take me to the mat and now he could finish me with submissions or ground and pound. That just doesn't seem normal that you guys can do that, but also be so poised in there to understand the strategy of the fight. So for a dude that played at Florida State that was with 
Washington in 2016 to now be doing both of these things. I do think um, it's a new step in a different direction. And in Black History Month and the sport that hasn't had a ton of Daniel Cormier's, haven't had a ton of John Jones or Kamaru Usman's at the top. It is really cool to see this young man, Reggie, taking an interest in both sports and playing or doing both or working to do both at a professional level. Yeah, and for Reggie Northrup, it's it's the next step, right, RC? Because you got guys like Lane Johnson, guys like yourself, who even when you were in your playing career, you trained mixed martial arts. You yes. trained boxing. You did all those things as a cross-training way of just breaking up the monotony of every day, lifting weights, running, getting on. You don't want to do the same thing every day, so you go in your box, and you go and you do mixed martial arts. You cross-train something different. What it seems like Reggie's doing is just taking the next next step in that journey, right? Going from just training it to doing it professionally. He won his professional debut. He fought in Gamebred's organization. He's going to play for the D.C. defenders in the XFL. So he's doing them both, and he's doing them both at the same time. It's a very yeah. impressive thing, and it's impressive to see a young black man not only living one dream— but pursuing two dreams at the same Absolutely. time. So congratulations, Reggie. We are going to be following your journey as you try to do something that really is unheralded and unheard. It's something that can be unheralded because we've never seen it before, and it's unheard of as you go forward. RC, yep. it's time now. Tap in and tap out, baby. Let's go. All right, guys. This coming weekend, Aaron Blanchfield takes on top contender and former strawweight champ Jessica Andrade. With Aaron sitting at number 10 and 4-0 in the UFC, DC, tap in or tap out, Blanchfield becomes number one contender with a win. I tap in. I think this is yeah. the same situation we saw with Sean O'Malley and Piotr Jan, where you fight mm -hmm. the person that seems like the next person, and if you beat them, you kind of get that bump. We have been very high on Aaron Blanchfield, especially after we saw her do to Molly McCann in November. We have seen Jessica yes. Andras dominate at 125. And 115. She wins this fight. I do believe she's the number one contender, and I think it is warranted. Absolutely, because if you're looking at the, the women's game, we're trying to find that next crop of athletes to contend for championships when you've had such dominant fighters in those weight classes. And so after what we saw her do to Meatball Molly, which was an absolute demolition, if she goes out and she beats Jessica Andrade, she now puts herself in the conversation for the next title contender. All right, guys, Robert Whitaker and Hamzat Shemaev have both stated that they would be interested in fighting one another at 185 pounds. RC, tap in or tap out on a Whitaker-Hamzat middleweight bout. Listen, I tap in on this 100%. I think sometimes we forget how great of a fighter Robert Whitaker actually is because he's lost to Israel Adesanya two times. Obviously, the first fight, he goes in a little bit overhyped, trying to get the knockout, gets put down by Izzy. Then in the next fight, he changes his strategy and fights to a decision. I know that Hamzat Chemaev is an absolute beast and monster, but I totally tap in on watching these two really, really good fighters do battle in the octagon. I absolutely tap in. RC, I feel like this is... Another step in the Hamza Chimaev journey, right? Because he had to go through Gilbert Burns at 170 to show that he belonged at the very top of the division. If he does that against Robert Whitaker and can somehow win, then it just makes sense for him to be on a short list of guys to face the winner of Alex Pajeda in Israel at Asanya. And also the timing, 
works very well considering Pajeda in that Asanya rematch is already on the books. Absolutely tap in. Corporate Jake. During the UFC 284 weigh-in show, Dominic Cruz actually had a nice thing to say about our own DC when talking about the best champ champs in UFC history. Take a listen. I mean, I got to go because he's defended the title and done it more than once. It's Daniel Cormier. He's won with single legs in the heavyweight division, as this being said. You got a single leg. Wins you he's got one, right away. He's got one of the best <laughs> single legs in the world. So I think he could honestly come back with his single leg and probably be in the top three right now with a broken back. That's how good at wrestling he is. RC, tap in or tap out that DC could be a top three heavyweight right now. First off, I tap out on the fact that DC could be a top three heavyweight right now because me and my boy are old. But I do tap in on Dominic's assessment of why DC is one of the best double champs we've ever had. When you can move fluidly through two different divisions, keep the same fighting style and adapt and adjust to different powers, different body types, fighting against you as opponents, it just shows exactly who you are and how dominant you are, not only physically, but mentally. So I'm actually surprised Dominic said it, but I clap him up for being man enough yeah. to at least be honest. That's my boy right there, RC. Yeah, you know I. He's not I don't think I could be the top three right now. I'm saying you're my boy. He's not. Your I don't boy. think. I don't. I don't think I could be top three right now. But I tell you, man, back in the day, I was like Alexander Volkanovsky. I had all the skills. I was going between <laughs> weight class. I'm out there competitive. I was doing my thing out there, corporate J. So yes, maybe not today, but once upon a time in the fairy tale, I was a bad man. Yeah, were, All right, guys, lastly, during Super Bowl week, R.C. RC showed off his dancing skills on NFL Live. Ooh. He and the team started doing mm. some line dancing. Our own D.C. has also yeah. previously showed off his dance skills, too. R.C., yeah, tap in or tap out, you got the better dance skills than Daniel. I tap all the way in. How can you mess up the centipede? It's the easiest dance ever. And, oh, my goodness. I actually have <laughs> gifts that I made like that at the, uh, the expo during International Fight Week. I tap all the way in and I'm a better dancer than DC. DC knows this as well, do I? I mean, I tap, I tap, but he looks stiff. Look how stiff he looks. Let me tell you one DC, thing about... we're learning to dance right here. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. learning to dance right yeah, he here. When it got yeah. moving, I killed it. Look at that. <laughs> that looks terrible. That's RC, but listen, RC, let me just say this. Let me just say this, RC. When you, if you're a great dancer, you, you go through genres and you do them very well. So as a line dancer, I am top-notch. As a swing-out dancer, as we call it in Louisiana, I am top-notch. As I mean, I can, I can twerk. You saw me twerk right there. So, yeah, I tap in that I'm the better dancer. DC, because you DC, saw me twerk. This. DC, that video just embarrassed the piss out of us in Black History Month. <laughs> Straight up. Can I say something, RC? Can I say something? My buddy, I was doing it. When I was doing it, my boy Sean Bunch was with me. I was in there and I grabbed the box. He looked at the people and he was like, man, I don't feel comfortable with this. And he left. He very was mad. Very uncomfortable. I don't like it. I, I, hate it. I hate the whole thing. I hate you dancing around with chicken. Um, Cor Corporate Jake, so can we end the show, please? Like, yeah, it's over. Give me, give me some mad. sort of countdown. That says we're ending the show. DC, it was a great fight week, man. Congrats to your daughter on having an amazing competition 
in Orlando. Super Bowl was great. Watching Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes duel. Patrick oh, Mahomes boy. eventually coming out on top. It was such a blessing to be there. I ran into so many stars. It makes me realize that I have a long way to go if I ever want to be invited <laughs> to some of these parties. But this is DC and RC. DC, you close us out. But we just want to thank you guys so much for all of your support. Yeah, it was a tremendous. It was a tremendous Super Bowl, man. One of the best ever. Didn't like that call to end the game, but whatever. You know, Patrick Mahomes barely had the ball, and they won the game, which was crazy. RC, RC, you yep. look like you. I saw you out there with Rick Ross, really doing your thing. I was like, well, my boy RC done made it out here, man. Who knew? Like, let's Who go. Knew? I no idea. Who knew? People knew me. It's about <laughs> no. DC and RC. That's why it's DC and RC, bro. Hey, you can catch us wherever you get your podcast. Tune in at 12 a.m. on ESPN2. We love y'all. Thank you